chair. I'm going to do that that anyway. Brilliant. Okay. <coughs> Lord, we thank you um, for this series. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who's at work in all of these areas and all these subjects that we're looking at. And that your word helps us to grapple with them and to respond to them. Lord, I pray for Michael that you would continue to bless him in his area of work. But also as he speaks to us, Lord, use him by your spirit to speak to us today. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Is this on? Yep. Okay. Right, brilliant. This is a bit wonky. Um, Okay, so as Paul said, we're in this series talking about what's in the news. Um, I'm going to be using quite a bit of stuff on the screen, so hopefully you'll be able to see that. If not, you might want to move forward. Um, So the environment. The environment is something that is very definitely in the news quite a lot at the moment. And so it's probably worthwhile... Um, just seeing um, from one of the things that has been in the news recently. Oh, hang on. I need, um, I need the sound cable in, don't I? Wherever that is. Is this it here? Yes. Right, that wouldn't have been so good. So, I'm sure you all know of Greta Thunberg, but let's see what she had to say on this particular subject of the environment. Is it going to work? Nope. Okay, what I'll do is, um, ah, stop. We tried it earlier and it didn't work. Oh, there we go. Shall I try again? Okay, well, you can read it. (coughs) Um, She says, I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. 
And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. So that's what Greta had to say um, when she was speaking to the United Nations. So really powerful words there. Um, So what is she? Is she precocious? Um, Is she someone who's um, an idealist, unrealistic? Or is she someone who's actually, um, who's got a prophet of our time, someone who's saying something important? We've seen this with the, um, the school strikes which she encouraged. Um, and that was in the news a couple of weeks ago with two million children um, taking time off school in order to take part in these sorts of uh, protests. We've seen this with Extinction Rebellion with their aim of uh, mass disruption. Uh, you can see there, stop denying that our earth is dying. People who are causing problems, causing inconvenience in order to make this point about the um, environmental destruction that's going on. And the environmental destruction is real. This is the sort of thing that I do research on some of the um, aspects of it. And so what you've got is you've got things like deforestation, with the Amazon being burnt, um, at least partly for soybean production at the moment. So the lungs of the planet are being destroyed. In Malaysia, vast amounts of rainforest are being cut down in order to um, grow oil palm instead for things like soaps and chocolate bars, stuff like that. Um, You've got gold mining up at the top, illegal gold mining, which is destroying forests and also poisoning waters. Um, If we go on, you look at the oceans, and we've got the issue of overfishing, um, and we've got all the bycatch that's associated with that. There's coral reefs which are dying because of climate change, because of the oceans warming and acidifying, And um, for those of you who saw Blue Planet, we've got the issue of plastics in the ocean, um, which are accumulating um, at unprecedented rates. If we look around here, at the sorts of landscapes around here, we've got the intensive agriculture that's going on, with the ploughing, with the spraying of pesticides, and all sorts of things like this, which is destroying our ability to be able to sustainably grow crops. Colleagues of mine were involved in the State of Nature report, um, which showed the biodiversity in this country is declining, and the benefits we get from biodiversity um, are declining as well. You've got huge issues like climate change, which are affecting the whole planet. And then we see this um, expressed in, in weather patterns, changing weather patterns, increasing droughts, increasing extremes of tropical storms in different parts of the world, and even issues of flooding and droughts in this country, um, and, tropical f- and um, wildfires in different parts of the world. Pollution and the way that we're poisoning the waters, we're poisoning the air. Um, I'm sure many of you will have seen that haze that comes over our landscape um, at certain times in the summer. And that is associated, obviously, with pollution. um, And and there is increased problems of people's health and um, increased deaths which happen at that time because of the way that we are poisoning the air. Um, There's the loss of green space with the impacts that that has on well-being. So we're losing this connection with nature, and that affects us. That affects us individually in terms of our health, and affects us in terms of our well-being. 
And all of this is really important because <clears throat> this is a poster I produced with some colleagues for um, communicating some of the work that I do. Nature relies on us and we rely on nature. And so as we are doing all of, this, all of these acts which are poisoning, which are devastating the earth, as Greta said um, so forcefully, and if, if you'd have actually been able to hear what she said, you'd have been able to sense and see the anger or hear the anger in her voice about this. So as we are poisoning the earth, as we are causing reductions and, and loss of biodiversity, we are affecting ourselves and our ability to be able to survive on this planet. And if everyone lived like we do, we would need two and a half planets just to live. So all of that is what's in the news currently. And I go through it, I went through it, and I went through it fairly quickly, but it's one of those issues where... Um, so I, I study this sort of thing as part of my job. And the more we think, the more, you, the more knowledge you gain, the more worrying it really is. It's not something that we can just leave um, and ignore and stick our heads in the sand about. These are issues that are really, really important. And they're in the news right now. But let's reset just for a moment. Because we've got all these issues, these environmental issues, but let's see what the Bible says. So the first thing, <clears throat> so there are, I think there are six points that I've got here. The first point that we need to come to, because it's important to look at these issues of environmental um, loss and destruction through God's eyes and through, through a biblical perspective. So firstly, I will hopefully inspire you by and uh, where's my mouse so this would be more um, impactful if there was the stirring soundtrack from the BBC um, but this is, <clears throat> this is a trailer of their new um, series, which is on second, or second episode is on tonight. And of course, like the BBC does, it shows off the very best, the most beautiful, the most incredible aspects of creation. And I think one of the things is when we look at creation, we can go right from the grandest views of landscapes through to fireflies in that case, tiny little things, and the detail, the beauty of, of birds' feathers, of scales, of snakes, of tiny little insects, um, which provide so much benefit to us, but also are just beautiful and precious and awe-inspiring in their own right, from the greatest scales of planets of the universe right down to the smallest scales as well. And I'm sure for any of you who've been around, who've walked in nature, who've stopped and watched birds or 
insects, just looked at the beauty of a butterfly, whatever it might be, um, you too will have seen something of God in that. <laughs> and some of God's humour as well. Okay, so the first point, <clears throat> looking back at where, what the Bible says about this subject, the first point is creation is good. We look back right into Genesis 1 at the very beginning. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. That is the foundation. That is where we start. When we think about creation care, when we think about the environment, we remember that God looked at it and said, it was good. The second thing is God's purpose is for all creation. Now, so often I think what we, what we do is we think about God's, God's love, God's purpose, the Christian message as being about us as individuals. So it's about us and it's about us being able to reflect God's love in the world. If we look actually from Genesis 1, which starts in a garden with a river, with trees, and we finish up at, Genesis, uh, uh, at the end of Revelation where there's a city with a river of life flowing from it, with the tree of life. We can see that God's purpose seems to encompass all of creation. It's not just about us as individuals, but it's about all of his creation. We'll come back to that sign in a moment, or that symbol in a minute. But God's when he created the world, he created God's a relational God and he created it in relationship. And we, he created us in relationship with the rest of creation. <clears throat> the third point is God gave us responsibility. And so going back again to Genesis 1, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Skipping on to Genesis 2, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So sometimes people have wrongly taken these verses to say it's okay to do what we want when it comes to creation because God said it's up to us to, to subdue the earth, um, to rule over these sorts of things. But those people who, would, who are tempted to say things like that, to say it's all there for our benefit, we can use it as we want, um, seem to ignore that first bit that God created us in his image. So what would be God's image about caring for the things that he made? It would not be to trash and to destroy, but, but it would be to nurture, it would be to care, it would be to, in a sense, serve creation. And that is the authority which God has given to us. You can see that from these verses in Genesis. 
So God chose, as he created the world, and as he put people in it, he gave us his authority, and he gave us his authority to rule, to serve, to take care, to work. So that's the third point, that we then have that responsibility to live with, with that sense of God's rule and God's authority and responsibility as well. <clears throat> so the fourth point is, and this is going through these biblical perspectives, human life and the rest of creation are completely bound together. And so we can see that in the fact that the created world is our sustenance. It's where we get our food. It's where we get our buildings. It's where we get, it's where we get our electricity. It's where we get all the resources to make all the gadgets that we spend time on. It's where we get clean air and clean water in order for us to survive. So God put us in this relational sense on the earth so that we're integrally bound together. But of course that does move on to the next step, the fact that there's sin in the world. We see that in Genesis with the fall and the fact that then creation seems to be broken, that what people did breaks that relationship. And it's expressed, um, it's expressed in many of the prophets in the Old Testament where they're talking about this relationship of people with the land and about the way that the land suffers because of the wrong that we do and the creation suffers. So this verse in Hosea, this um, prophecy that he gives, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. Because of the sin, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are swept away. So here Hosea, Hosea, like many of the prophets, is making this link between the wrong that we do, the selfishness, the greed, and all the rest of it, and the fact that the land, the, the rest of creation, is broken. Which, going back to Greta Thunberg and some of the passion and the anger that she brings in, seems to give a fairly hopeless situation, except that in we know that the gospel is a gospel of hope. God's message for us is a message of hope. God's purpose is to reconcile all things. And as I said a moment ago, we talk about that so often in terms of um, us individually that God's desire is to bring healing, to bring salvation, to bring redemption, to bring reconciliation. But it's actually, it, it's not about us individually only. It's about us together. And it's about all that God has created, as we saw a moment ago. 
So there's this incredible hymn in Colossians, <clears throat> um, which is a, a hymn of worship to Jesus. And this is what Paul says in Colossians, that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, clearly talking about Jesus. For in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is just an incredible hymn, an incredible psalm of worship to Jesus. But we can see that it is. Jesus is the source of creation. In things, all things, sorry, in him, all things were created. And he's the sustainer of creation. In him, all things hold together. Um, creation was made for Jesus. So as we look at the things, that, the things around us, the creation, as we think about the way that we act, this is all for Jesus. And then it's really clear that we have this sense of hope. It's not a sense of hopelessness. It's not a sense of sheer anger and rage, as we saw from Greta Thunberg at the beginning. But Jesus will reconcile to himself all things. And it's like Paul just goes, just to make the point, it's all things on earth and in heaven, and it's making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus, through his death, the ultimate aim of that is to reconcile, not to simply to save individuals, but to reconcile all things to himself. And this passage, if you notice, it goes from the huge, the all things that were created... It then goes on to the church, and actually the next verse then says, oh, and it's even for you individually, um, which is so often the opposite way to the way that we think about things. <clears throat> okay, and then the final point um, in terms of what the Bible says about this, um, it's about the new heaven and the new earth. And if we look at what Paul says in Romans, this is another really crucial passage for us as we think about um, what we do in terms of the environment and creation care. For the creation waits in eager expectation. Um, as one translation puts it, the creation is on its tiptoes in expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. 
we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Um, if, you read, if you read through the Gospels, you'll often find that Paul has these, um, as he writes, he has these long sentences which just feel like they're like so tightly knitted together. And as you get into them, it just feels like it unpacks with meaning upon meaning upon meaning. And I think this is one of those things which um, we can only sort of scratch the surface at the beginning. But there's something about the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So there's something there about that, that pain which we can see in the brokenness of the earth around us and brokenness in ourselves and in our society as well. Um, but there's an expectation with that pain as well. And I put there at the top, <clears throat> so we often read in the Bible um, about the new heavens and the new earth. And it's talking, actually, the word there, new, means renewed. It's like a sort of recycled, a purified, a reclaimed, a reconciled. And actually, uh, maybe slightly controversial statement, um, I don't think we'll go to heaven when we die. Because I think the Bible talks really clearly about us being made for the new earth. And there's something about, it's not that we go and we, we float as ethereal people, um, but we, we will be made, remade, for the remade, renewed earth. And it's a, it's a place where heaven and earth come together, where God's reign and God's, what we see in that physicality of creation come together in something perfect. So what we have as Christians is we have a sense of hope about creation. But just as, just as the Bible talks about us as, as, as being a new creation, when we become Christians, we become a new creation. And so there is something about us being renewed but what that doesn't do is that that doesn't destroy. Jesus doesn't, or God doesn't, take us, destroy us, and start from scratch again. He renews us. He reconciles us from the people that we are. And I believe, actually, that there's something about that with the new earth. We see that, actually, in Jesus' body. When Jesus had this, Jesus was resurrected, and he, he had this renewed body, of new creation, it was a perfect body, yeah? But it was a body that also carried some of the scars and some of the marks of what had gone before. And I believe, actually, that the way we pollute the earth, the extinctions that go on, in some way will actually be carried through to the new heavens and the new earth. There will be a sense in which God reconciles it, a sense in which God redeems it and purifies it and perfects it. But I believe that actually what we do now on the earth does have consequences. And that could be unpacked a whole lot further. So a couple of quotes 
having gone through what the Bible says, is that when we care for creation, we share in its great purpose of giving glory to God. So we see in the Psalms about uh, the, the trees of the forest, the hills are all worshipping God in their own way. I don't know how they're doing it, but they're worshipping God. And so as we care for creation, there seems to be something in which we share in that sense in which we can release creation in an even greater sense, maybe in the ways that we garden and all sorts of things like this. We release creation to give glory to God. We also provide a signpost to this new creation that I talked about, the new heavens and the new earth. And when we fail to do so, when we participate in the destruction, pollution or wasting of creation, we are reducing even further creation's capacity to give glory to God. And if you think of polluted rivers seem less able to give glory to God than beautiful rivers teeming with life. So we have a responsibility. It's a responsibility that comes not from fear, not from anger, not from hopelessness, but it's a responsibility that comes from our love of God. And so we have a mission of creation care. The Church of England actually talks about five marks of mission, one of which is creation care. It seems to be something that that is what we are made for, to care, to serve, to work the earth. And I just wanted to, at this point, um, acknowledge a truly wonderful organisation which I've been involved in. Uh, it's called Arosha. It's, it's got the tagline, um, Conservation and Hope. And this, I think, is something wonderful. For me personally, as I speak to uh, other, um, other researchers, other um, ecologists, and I'm able to talk about my commitment to this particular organisation in terms of the sense in which they are bringing that sense of hope Um, through what they are doing. And they're doing incredible work in terms of uh, working globally in that practical sense of conservation, but also working with communities, working with local people. I've um, had the privilege of visiting their work in Kenya, where they are supporting uh, the conservation of local forests there and all the species that depend on those forests, um, but also then the people who depend on those forests and being able to provide through ecotourism bursaries for secondary school children. They're working in Peru, they're working in inner city London. They're doing an incredible prophetic job. Um, Actually, in terms of what's been in the news this week, there's been a real tragedy um, for this organisation in that there was a horrific car accident um, where one of the co-founders of Arosha um, and the current chief executive and his wife um, died. Um, One of the people survived... Um, and is still in hospital in um, 
uh, in South Africa. We've lost some wonderful people, uh, quotes the Bishop of Oxford. Um, but they've started a movement that is an incredible legacy to their love of Christ, their love of people, and their love of God's creation. As the environmental crisis deepens, they've given us the gift of Arosha and the vision and the means to follow Christ faithfully in caring for his world. Just for a moment, I'd just like to pray. And Lord, it's, it's heartbreaking. When truly wonderful people are lost from this earth, um, people who I've seen who've had such an incredible love for your creation, such leadership, and so much love for you, and so much love for people across the world. And I pray, Father, for the hundreds and hundreds of people throughout the world who feel like they have lost a mother, they've lost a father. And I pray that you will be with that family of Arosha as we grieve. And I pray that you will be with Peter Harris, the survivor of the car crash. And I pray particularly that you will be close to him emotionally as he comes out of the coma and has to come to terms with such tragedy. Amen. But for you, um, in, terms of, in terms of what this means for you and the creation care, I think for us what it means is for one thing that we should be enjoying creation as part of our worship. It's our worship to God. And as we walk in <coughs> landscapes and as we look at, well, not butterflies in this weather, but whatever bugs, whatever plants, whatever things we can find, let's use that in a sense of worship. And actually, you know what that creates in us? The well-being creates in us health. Um, how can we incorporate create, care for creation as part of our worship as a church as well? It's also worth remembering that as we care for creation, it's, it's, also, uh, it's also a sense of justice. It's not just caring for the non-people parts of creation, but caring for people is integral to this. So it's those people who are poorest in the world who will suffer most with climate change, affected by droughts, affected by floods. It's the poorest people in this country who are affected most by poor air quality. And as we think about animals as well, there's that sense in which, is it okay to keep animals for our provision in horrendous conditions? I don't think so. So we need to act prayerfully, and we can act with a sense of repentance as well. I went on a beach clean with um, some colleagues from Russia um, uh, <clears throat> last year. And we started that beach clean with a sense of repentance for the pollution that we had caused on this earth. And we finished with a sense of worship for God our creator 
And in between, we were picking up plastic from the beach. And for me, that was a wonderful sense of combining that hope, but also that repentance of, of the brokenness um, that we have together with practical action. So as we think practically, I think, and we could spend another few hours talking and discussing and thinking about this, um, but I think it's really important to be informed and then to do something. So from all that I've said, we don't need to act out of a sense of guilt. We don't need to act out of a sense of hopelessness. But we can act out of a sense of worship. We can act because it is right and it is an act of worship. So we can act with that care as well. When thinking about what we can do practically, act one step at a time. Because the issues are so huge. And when we start thinking about the deforestation and the climate change and all that I talked about at the beginning, it's overwhelming. So act one step at a time. The decisions that we make can be really tricky to make. We bought a diesel car a few years ago because its fuel economy was so good. Then, of course, we discover that diesel cars are terrible for um, air quality. So what do we do? Should we replace it with an electric car? Except that all the, um, a lot of the metals in the batteries of the electric car come from places in Africa where there's the open-cast mining and the deforestation. So we're stuck. What do we do? Well, I think the thing to do is to be prayerful about it. One of the things that I love, Arosha has got a campaign um, talking about living lightly. And I love that sense because it talks about a simplicity. There's a sense in which <clears throat> recycling is good, but reducing is even better. And so thinking about what we can do without. Can we do without jumping in the car and taking the convenience of driving um, half a mile down the road? Or can we instead say we could give this time for relationships and we can walk that half a mile and we can spend time together or we can walk and we can pray. There are ways in which we can be creative. But um, when we think about this, it should affect all that we do. It's, there's something sacrificial about taking this step of truly fulfilling part of that commission that we have to care for creation. And so, I will finish with a prayer. Almighty God, you created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. You created humankind in your own image and it was very good. Grant us the courage to recognize our failure to care for your creation and by your grace, do all that we can to halt the degradation of our environment. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came that we might have life in all its fullness and to reconcile to himself all things. Amen. And from that sense of hope and from that sense of um, acting from... from uh, from that biblical understanding of what God says about creation. Um, for those of you on Facebook, I'll put some ideas on, hopefully later today, maybe about some practical tips and thoughts. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Perhaps you could put a couple of things on Facebook for us, just to help remind us.
uh, as we go from here rather than just leaving us with the slides but actually reminding us over the next day or two. That would be wonderful, Michael. Thank you.